Welcome to the Neurodiverse Toolbox with Sheila Kieschlin and Paige Kieschlin. Good afternoon, Paige. Hello. So, Paige and I are so lucky today that we have Dr. Paul Austin with us. Um, he is located in Lafayette, Colorado, um, and he has um, his own practice and stuff. And so I'm just going to give him a couple minutes to introduce himself because he can do that best. Hey, Dr. Well, Paul. Good afternoon, Sheila and Paige. Um, yeah, so uh, I'm Dr. Paul Austin. My business is Austin Functional Wellness formerly known as Austin Chiropractic Center. I am a chiropractor by training. Um, and one of the things that chiropractors have the ability to do, much like MDs, is to go into specific postgraduate work uh, in very specialties. Like, so in my, my profession, we can go into a nutritional specialty, um, radiology, if we want to read MRIs and x-rays and CT scans. Um, and also sports and also <laughs> neurology. So I have uh, a three-year postgraduate degree in neurology, which has afforded me the ability to work more closely with brain-based conditions like concussions and vertigo and ADHD and autism and even declining brain function in seniors. Um, so this is, this is my... My passion is to help people get a better brain. Um, yeah, that's a little bit about me. Awesome. So um, full disclosure, Dr. Paul and I are in a business group together. So he's being really humble. He actually knows an amazing amount about the brain. So, um, so Dr. Paul, we have some questions that we've decided we're going to ask all of our guests. But since you're our first one, you get the the first shot at them. So um, what is something that you can't go a day without doing? Okay, so that's a great question. Um, I would say probably eating. I think I tend to run a little bit on the hypoglycemic oh. index. And so, you know, and I think that came from having a dysregulated diet when I was younger. Um, it's not terrible, but I really, I've tried fasting. It is really not fun. I That's don't funny. like fasting going a whole day without eating just makes me kind of like unhappy and not feel good. Hangry. So I would, <laughs> hangry, yeah. So I would say food is really, and good, nutritious, healthy food. Awesome. Which is super good for the neurodiverse brain, right? Um, yes. yeah. Um, what, um, what habit have you found that helps your brain the most? Well, I've said since I started studying neurology, um, I got board certified, by the way, in 2003. So I've been doing this work for about 18 years. Uh, I started my chiropractic degree or, or my chiropractic practice in 1986. So in, okay, bye, Barbara. That was my front office manager leaving. Um, so for the last 18 years, I've been saying, as I learned more about what makes my brain work well, that exercise is like my Ritalin. It's yeah. like my AD Adderall. It's like, so when, if I don't exercise at least five to six times a week, my brain is not working as well. Cognitively, I'm a little bit 
you know, more floaty and I don't focus or tend as well. So, and I, and I know why neurochemically is because the dopamine uh, that I get when I exercise makes my brain work more efficiently, as well as all the neurochemicals in your brain work better with exercise. Have you noticed that certain exercises are better for getting that, that level that you want compared to other exercise? Well, that's a great question. Um, so for me as a man, I'm 65, by the way, um, I, I am really committed to weightlifting. Um, I do aerobic as well, but, but the weightlifting seems to be the real, real amazing driver of stability in my brain. If I don't weightlift, I don't feel like I get quite as much uh, benefit from the exercise. That's interesting because in, um, did you read ADHD 2.0 by Dr. Hollowell and Dr. Reddy? I've, I've read parts of it. <laughs> okay. They really say cardio, cardio, cardio. Yeah. So that's interesting um, that you find it the weightlifting. Um, well, I got to tell you, I, I kind of do my weights like a cardio workout because <laughs> I don't have any break in between. I mean, I go from oh, one okay. machine to the next machine, to the next machine, to the next machine. So I'm like, my, my cardio, cardio ah, yeah. is working on a regular, nice. plus I do 15 minutes of cardio before I weight lift. And then I do 15 minutes of cardio after I weight lift. All right. So and how long's the workout? 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes an hour and 15, hour and a half. Wow. That's a, that's a lot of cardio. <laughs> I'm exhausted just listening to that. Um, so um, I'm just kidding. I used to be a runner. Cardio is great. Um, uh, so the last question that we're asking everybody, what are you most excited about today? Uh, this particular day, I'm very excited. Mm -hmm. My daughter's visiting me from California. That's <laughs> awesome. Here. Yeah, she's here for the next week, and um, my wife is up in the mountains with the girls and at a, at a house in Granby, and so I get to have my daughter all by myself without her boyfriend, and yeah, so just we're her. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, we're fun. I have to say that I think another thing that I think really keeps you organized, um, and maybe isn't a habit you found, but is a tool of sorts, is your office manager is amazing. She really keeps you on track. If we could oh, all afford you. to have a Barbara, that would be amazing. Oh, Sheila Page, if you only knew, I always say this, she's my left brain to my right. Brain. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so Together we have one solid brain. I was just talking to a client who was like, I need to hire a system manager. And I was like, yes, please. Mm -hmm. um, that's funny. So, so you are a chiropractor by trade. And so um, most neurodiversities are diagnosed through um, a therapist or a nurse like evaluation. So how is your evaluation fundamentally different from theirs? Well, that's a great question. So um, I think in, in my world of functional neurology, my task is not to necessarily diagnose the pathology. I leave that to people who are, that's their job. Mm -hmm. My job, as I see it, is to find out what in, what in each person's world and in their, their functionality is not working well. So for some people, it's focus and attention. For some people, it's balance and coordination. For some people, it's both. 
for some people, it's uh, an excessively elevated fight or flight system. And I can work with that. Um, for some people, it's sleep. And these are all things that are common for neurodiverse people. It's, it's, they have sleep issues. They have anxiety issues. They have fight or flight responses. Um, they have failure to focus and attend. So my job is to kind of identify what are the key things that each individual is struggling with and then try to find both home strategies and in-office therapies that might be able to help them function better in their world. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I like the whole, like, not pathologizing people, right? Because yeah. right? I'm very, you know, neuro, ne neurodiversity shouldn't be pathologized, I don't think. Um, so uh, I've been to your office. And so I know you have lots of tools and lots of toys, quote unquote, to play with. Um, can you tell us about some of those that work the best with uh, your clients who are neurodiverse? Sure. Well, one of the things that I think is fundamental to all patients, whether they're neurodiverse or not, is their ability to balance in space. So we all have very, very strong neurological systems that want to keep us stable in a gravity environment. I mean, when we're unstable, when we don't have good balance, when we're suffering from a little bit of disequilibrium or, you know, feeling of dizziness or being off balance, it can completely affect our cognitive pathways and vice versa. We know from, you know, seniors who have declining cognitive function that their balance gets worse and worse and they're often at high risk for falling. So it goes both ways. The cognitive system is highly linked to the balance system. So one of the things that I do is I, I do a very high level balance test. It's, it's called a CAPS test, which stands for Comprehensive Assessment of Postural Systems. It's a $15,000 force plate that has both a hard surface and then you can also put a four inch foam pad on it and people stand on either the hard force plate or the foam pad with their eyes open or eyes closed. And we do about a 20 second test, which evaluates their sway patterns and <clears throat> look at how they balance in space with either their eyes open or eyes closed or with their head in various positions. And then I can kind of like see where there might be deficiencies in their balance. That can go a long ways to helping their brain work more efficiently if they're not struggling with how they move through their environment, which is, is kind of a cool thing. So it's, it's hard to understand that, you know, a cognitive problem like ADD or ADHD could have a benefit from getting your balance improved, but it can't. It's, it's highly connected. So that's one thing I do. Secondly, what I do is um, I do a high level timing test called interactive metronome. This was developed back in the oh, mid to early 1990s by a small symphony that realized they weren't playing their instruments very well together. Their timing was off. And they all did this program that was developed, I think, by one of the guys who was like an engineer. And they all realized they got not only better timing with their singing and playing, but they actually noticed their balance was better. Their, their cognitive function was clearer. And... So then it developed, and now there's like 30,000 providers for interactive metronome in the country. Wow. Even internationally. 
Um, when I started doing it in 2005, there was about five or 6,000 providers. And where the providers that do it are occupational therapists, physical therapists, speech therapists, nurses, small hospitals. Interactive metronome is used by almost every professional sports team. It's used by colleges. It's used by educational facilities. There are high schools and, and grade schools that have banks of interactive metronome programs so that kids can go in and, and train themselves. Now that neurodiversity has come to the forelight and people are starting to get diagnosed more, it's like, now there's something we can do about it. So the metronome program is high level timing. And, and their, their motto is that timing is everything. So sensory yeah. processing, um, processing speed, motor coordination, balance, um, everything, sensory integration, it's all related to timing. And lastly, I, another big tool I use is called the Neurosensory Motor Integrator, which is a, uh, it's a, it's a vision therapy platform but it's more than that. So that's the one with the giant screen that I played. Yeah, on. it's a big, it's a big screen. Okay. It's a touch, a touch screen. So you, mm-hmm. there's multiple different um, things that you can do on a programs that are on it. Like there's a hand coordination, there's tracking, there's targeting, there's memory, there's rotational movement patterns that allow your brain to tap targets while they're moving in a in a clockwise or counterclockwise pattern. There's um, balance there's a whole balance program that's involved with that where you have to move through linear and non-linear movement patterns on the screen it's a really amazing program and so we use that in conjunction with the metronome and i did say lastly but i didn't mean lastly um i also use um and prescribe people focus builder focus builder is an app for iphone and ipad only it's unfortunately not on the droid or the you know, PC uh, platform, but what it is, is it was developed by a chiropractic neurologist uh, named Cedric Knoll, and um, his company is called Nerd Solutions, which is kind of cool, and he's a brilliant um, functional neurologist and made this incredible platform, which is fairly inexpensive. It's like $79, I think, and I don't have any proprietary interest in it, by the way, but basically, you download this onto your phone, and then I prescribe very unique and specific eye movement exercises for each individual. They can take them home. They can do screen sharing onto their big screen TV, and then they can do the eye exercise. And then we follow every couple of weeks, and we can add or change or uh, modify the exercises as needed. But eye movement therapies are highly connected to cognitive function and to balance and coordination of movement. So Again, if, if we can get the eyes moving um, in, a, in a more efficient and functional way, the brain works better. Right. So I've heard you talk about this before, but can you just tell us a little bit about the relationship between the eyes and the brain? Sure. Well, first of all, the nerves that control <laughs> eye movements. Let's go back one step. Okay. The nerve that controls vision is the optic nerve. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's the optic. It's cranial nerve two. And it is not the nerve that moves the eyes. There are three other nerves that move the eyes in various directions. Cranial nerve three, four, and six. Now those, first of all, cranial nerves are nerves that are inside the skull, but actually are outside of the brain. 
So they're peripheral versus central nervous system, okay? They're actually in the skull, which is a weird thing, but they're considered peripheral because they're not <laughs> actually in the brain. Um, so the eye movement nerves are very specific to areas of the brain. So I'll give you a couple examples. Targeting maneuvers where your eyes go quickly to a target and identify it and decide, you know, is it dangerous, is it safe? What is it? Um, you know, for instance, you're driving a car and you see some a pedestrian or a bicyclist come to the side of the road. Are they going to continue out in the road and go in front of your car? You have to target quickly, identify what's happening, and then uh, make a make a quick assessment. Targeting maneuvers are very related to the frontal lobes, which happens to be the place where a lot of neurodiverse people don't work well. Right. And specifically, the right prefrontal cortex is the, is largely that area. And um, so by teaching somebody how to do accurate, quick targeting maneuvers, we can actually help the frontal lobe to work better. And there's specific targets, targeting maneuvers that are right frontal, and there's specific targeting that are left frontal. So again, we can use the knowledge of the brain to target specifically an area of the brain and make it work more functionally. Right. Very cool. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, I do want to give credit to one of my mentors. I, I don't know if you were going to ask this question, but um, I was trained by Robert Melillo. Okay. And Robert Melillo is one of the top neurologists in the world. Um, he is a functional neurologist and a chiropractor, which he's very proud of, as I am. Um, and he is the one who um, created the brain balance centers, which are, there's probably a couple hundred of them around the country right now. The brain mm -hmm. balance centers uh, were his kind of brainchild. In a, and he wanted to develop something that was proven. He, he treated thousands and thousands of neurodiverse and autistic um, kids primarily, and then wrote several books about it. And then developed a model that was repeatable and he franchised it. And now there are multiple centers throughout the country. I, I think there's some even in Europe that are using his model to work with neurodiverse populations. And it's a fantastic program. Now, how I'm different from that is that their program is very protocol-based. Kids are run through a protocol. And I use a lot of what I was taught from him, but I don't use a protocol. I use individual treatment plans based upon the individual person. So that's a little bit how how I differ from what he does, but I want to give him credit. He's, he's one of the most amazing uh, functional neurologists on the planet and uh, a real credit to, um, you know, helping out. He's got a passion for autism for sure. Nice. Um, I know you do other things too, though, right? Cause you're doing like, I know you've talked to me about doing like testing to make sure there's like no leaky gut or um, just good, based nutrition as well, right? So how does that incorporate into how your, your plan for patients? Well, that's a great question. Uh, so I think I have to go back a little bit more to the beginning of how, how the brain evolves and grows, uh, you know, even when it's in utero, um, that unfortunately 
inflammatory events either in the mother or in the, the neonate or even in when the child's still inside the womb, inflammatory factors can actually affect the development of the, of the central nervous system. And so we do know that foods can be unfortunately very inflammatory for people. Like I have sensitivity to gluten and dairy, very, very strong sensitivity. And when I eat it, I become inflamed in my gut. And guess what? There's a very strong connection between the gut and the brain. And it's the vagus nerve that makes that connection. So we in functional medicine say, if there's fire in the gut, there's fire in the brain, which means if you have inflammation in your gut, you have inflammation in your brain. So one of the things that I, that I do with almost every neurodiverse person that comes in, whether they be a child or an adult, is we evaluate food sensitivities and look for potential sources of inflammation that might be impacting brain function. And then if we can get those out, get their system, their metabolic um, pathways to be less inflammatory, we can then have a greater impact on trying to make their brain work better. Because if an inflamed brain is not going to respond to therapies as well as a non-inflamed brain. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Um, and I know for myself, I've eliminated all that kind of stuff from my diet as well, um, <clears throat> which is super helpful. Um, so um, we were talking before this, before we hit record um, about how in Europe, they're really using eye movement tracking um, as a diagnosis, as a tool for diagnosis. And, and I haven't read the studies, but I'm, we were talking about it in a class I was taking. So I don't know if they're using it independently or whatever, but like, just could you talk to us a little bit about the eye movements and what you might see in somebody's eye movements that are neurodiverse. Right. So in my right. work with, uh, with the neurodiverse population is that you will often see kids, especially, but, but even adults have um, hyper psychotic movements, which means that their eyes are moving rapidly all the time. Like their, their eyes are constantly going They're They're just very seldom still. And I think if you start paying attention to that, you'll really notice that in a lot of people, and which really means that a lot of people are neurodiverse, <laughs> but, or, you know, it is also connected to anxiety because mm -hmm. if you're, if you're in an anxious state, your eyes are going to tend to be, you know, targeting to always looking for danger so to speak. Right. And um, that constant movement of the eyes to various targets and looking in space for something that might be dangerous is also representative of an impulsive brain, right? Which, which you gotta, is somebody who's anxious is oftentimes also impulsive, which is a very, very common thing that you see in, in ADD and ADHD. There's, there's oftentimes timing errors and they're often related to doing things too fast or too impulsively. Mm -hmm. So I don't know that I'd love to know more about that research from out of Europe, but yeah. I think it's, I think it's great because we can, um, we can certainly 
understand a lot about the way the brain is working from looking at eye movements. And now that there's such a large amount of um, patient base to, to study, looking at the eyes is a natural way to actually help diagnose someone with uh, a neurodiversity. Is there, um, is there a difference between the eye movements of somebody who has ADHD compared to somebody who has ASD? Um, here's how I answer that question. Everybody's individual and every single person should be evaluated individually. Are there similarities? Sure. There's a lot of similarities. It's the same. It's the same when somebody comes in and they have a postural imbalance. Well, a lot of people have postural imbalances. Um, there's a lot of similarities, but I look at it like this is your unique postural pattern and this is where your balance is off. And I'm going to give you a unique program for that specific pattern. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, yeah. sidestep your question, but it's like, I, I don't, I don't think it's good in, in any practice uh, to try and lump everybody in as having the same symptoms. And I'm not saying you were doing that. I think that it's. No, I was just curious if there's, cause I know I've come home and I've heard you talk about the, the um, eye movements before, and I, I certainly came home and like had a conversation with Paige and really focused on her eyes to see what her eyes were doing. And they were definitely all over the place. Um, and she has both ADHD and autism, right? So I'm just like curious if I was talking to somebody who just had autism, or is there, would I be able to you know, be like, oh, their eye tracking is slower, but it's really individual based. Is what I'm getting. Yeah, no, you can't really. In my opinion, it's not a good, not a good thing. As we talked a little bit before the interview, I think eye movements are going to be helpful in anybody's diagnostic evaluation. So when you're trying to look at what's working well mm -hmm. in a in a neurodiverse person, eye movements should always be a, a part of the examination. But so should a subjective evaluation of, you know, clinical surveys. There's a lot of good mm -hmm. ADHD mm -hmm. surveys. And those should be also used. And, mm -hmm. you know, a good history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Neurodevelopmental history. I mean, looking at that kind of stuff is really, really super important. The family upbringing, all that stuff, the stress that the child has had. Um, so um, eye movements are, I think, are critical. They, they should really be evaluated because I, I, I personally think uh, and I don't think this, I know this, eye movements are one of the most important things to help your brain work better. And why do I say that? Well, because the visual system, and which includes eye movements, is the only system, the only sensory system that's connected to every single part of your brain. The auditory system is not, the smell system is not, the sensory motor system is not, the visual system is the only part of your sensory system that's connected to every part of your brain. Interesting. So it's, it's ultimately one of the most important areas to rehabilitate and make sure it's working really, really well. Nice. Do you, um, do you work with people that have dyslexia as well? Yeah. Like somebody come to you for like for that specific reason, I guess. I would say not typically. I don't, I don't like, cater specifically to, to dyslexia, but 
Right. There are people that come to me and they go, oh yeah, by the way, I have dyslexia. <laughs> and I go, yeah, I get that. <laughs> and, and as you know, dyslexia is more of a left brain problem. Yep. And, you know, autism and, and ADHD and uh, m- most of the neurodiversities come out of right brain developmental delays, not left brain. Right. right. But they right. can go together. Oh, I'm aware. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so... Which of your tools do you use? I use all of them. So, but, but yeah, I do Focus Builder. I do the metronome. I do the NSI whenever I get a chance. Um, and I often do metronome and eye-hand coordination on the, the neurosensory motor integrator before tennis matches. So I play, <laughs> I play high-level tennis, which is something that requires amazing yeah, you got to target timing. that ball. Oh my God, the timing and the tracking and the where your eyes have to go. The, a lot of time, it, your eyes have to go up. And um, so I do, I do these things to keep me sharp before a match. And when I don't do it before a match, I often don't play as well. Interesting. Is there um, one of those tools that you enjoy doing personally yourself? I really like the metronome. It's very challenging. I'm telling you what, it's very, it's very challenging to stay at the level. Like when I got super well trained on it, I was like, my timing was so, so good. And you know, I didn't, I didn't do, there were several years where I was like kind of being intermittent. I didn't really do it that much. And then I redid the initial test and I realized my performance had fallen off quite a bit. So I was like, oh my gosh, I can't, I'm, I'm like, oh, I'm just getting old. And then I was like, no, that I'm not going to buy into that. I'm not. And so I started doing it more and I got my t- timing up to as good as it was 10 years earlier. Nice. So I truly believe that that old age thing is just a bunch of baloney. Yeah. Things. I was just going to ask about that. Right. Like, so, yeah. so I know you're two people who have like cognitive decline from quote unquote aging. Um, right. So do you see a more significant or less significant change in your clients who are neurodiverse and aging? Like where's the overlap, I guess, of aging and neurodiversity in your practice? Well, that's a great question. I will, I will say this, that what I've seen in the, in, um, older neurodiverse people is that often there's fairly good adaptation to whatever they've got. It's because they've had it for years and years and years, and they, they know what they're good at. They know what they can, can do well, and they tend to stick to those things. And um, by the way, most of those things are considered routine, same and familiar, mm-hmm. which is left, which is left brain. They're not quite as good at new and different, which is right brain, but they do pretty well when they do routine, same and familiar. They go to their computer job, or they go to their accounting job, or they go to their whatever job it is, and they function pretty well. Um, when the brain starts to decline as you age, unfortunately, the pathways that are less activated during life will degenerate more quickly. Right. And that means if a right brain isn't working as well, it's the area that's going to be most likely to have 
clinical decline more more quickly. So that's the way that's the way neurology works. Is neurological circuits um, last longer and function better in you know longevity states versus areas that are less used. Right. And so if you don't use your right brain, it's going to fail first as you age. Short-term memory is a classic example of that. Short-term memory is more right brain. Long-term memory is more left brain. Right, right. Gross motor activity is right brain. Fine motor is left brain. So what goes first? When when you're really older, people lose the ability to move gross motor. They can still oftentimes still sit there and knit or, you know, type on a computer or write letters, but they try to get up and do big motor things, big muscle things, they're not as good at it and they're much more likely to fall or have an injury. Cool. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, especially some of my clients I'm imagining. Um, so um, my cat just jumped up here. Let me just put her down. Um, so um, what are things that people, you know, you're, you're not cheap. You're, you're definitely worth what you're charging people. Um, but like, let's say somebody can't afford to go see you. What are like some things they could do at home? Oh, great. Well, first of all, everyone should be exercising almost every day, especially the neurodiverse population, whatever they can do. It doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter where it is. Um, it's all about activating gross motor big muscles, big joints every day to some degree. Could be yoga, could be Pilates, could be weightlifting. And it's easy to buy some light weights and do it at home. Mm-hmm. Um, you can use tubing, exercise tubing. Um, you can hike. You can, you know, if you like to climb, go to the gym and climb. It does. It really doesn't matter. But exercise is primary, one of the most important things that they can do. Secondly, stay away from processed foods and eat man-made, no, excuse me, non-man-made <laughs> food. Right. Organic if possible, but you know, just avoid processed foods. Largely people eat too much processed foods. Right. There was just a study that came out on Medscape that showed that um, highly processed foods is linked to Alzheimer's disease. And oh, I was yeah, like, yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, of course it is, but- Heavy metals in general too. So not just food, but like your deodorant or lotion or sunscreen or all that stuff. Anything that you put on your body that's chemically made can have an effect on your brain. Um, So stay away from the middle of this grocery store. Correct. So exercise, diet, good hydration, good sleep habits, go to bed at the same time, have good sleep hygiene. Um, stress management tools are widely available. There's all kinds of great apps to learn how to meditate, how to calm yourself down naturally. And I know that's one of the things that you're great with, Sheila. You're, yeah. you're teaching people, you have great resources on your website. You, you have like uh, any number of great tools to help people learn how to calm themselves down yeah. and focus. Yeah. So... Uh. Learning to take that pause is, is huge for people who are neurodiverse. Correct. Um, absolutely. Awesome. Any other thoughts that we did not ask you about that you think 
you want to share? Oh boy, good question. Um, well, I think the biggest thing is, and, and I know this is something that you work with, people can change. <laughs> and, and sometimes yep. I think that we, we have this feeling like things are never gonna change. And that's a challenging thing for, for a brain to wrap around, whether it be like, I'll never be able to succeed at this, or I'll never be able to be as good as that, that person is, or, uh, and I don't believe in that. I believe in the yeah, ultimate, um, you know, the brain is capable of doing way more than we give it credit for. And that includes change for the positive. So you may never be, uh, you know, perfectly balanced from side to side in the two hemispheres of the brain, but you can make the side that's not working well work way better with some practice and consistency. Yeah, right. It's that neuroplasticity, right? Changing, you could correct, right? Yeah, no. And I often work with people who have really self-limiting beliefs or are making assumptions that they don't really have evidence for, right? Correct. Um, and that's how you shift shift to those. So, so coaching helps too. Um, awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Uh, absolutely. I will include your website in the description of this episode and, um, yeah. Well, awesome. such a pleasure talking to you both and, um, have a wonderful day. You as well. I'm just going to stop the recording here. Thank you for listening. If you wanted to coach with me, see my information at bigbangcoaching.net. If you are interested in emailing us, you can reach us at thendtoolbox at gmail.com. And if you wanted to see our website, please go to theneurodiversetoolbox.podbean.com. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Neurodiverse Toolbox.